This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to Total Saints Podcast. This podcast takes a weekly look backwards and forwards at all things Southampton FC. In this episode, we'll be reflecting on Saints' latest away trip to Sheffield United in a game that finished with a narrow 1-0 win. We'll also preview next week's It's Not a Derby Derby versus Bournemouth at St Mary's on Friday night. And Adam, Steve and Lucy are here, fresh from a visit to Bramwell Lane, while I was sadly, excitedly, delete as appropriate, heading south to visit Peppa Pig with my uh, children earlier today. And we're going back tomorrow as well, just to uh, make it even more exciting. Steve, I've just briefly mentioned St Mary's there. Obviously, um, it hosted the England game earlier during the week. I know that you were down there for that. So in terms of Saints and the sort of event and you know the spectacle itself, it seemed a good night on the whole for uh, St Mary's and the club. Yeah, I mean, it was just good fun, wasn't it? Um, I think a lot of people kind of half expected it to be to be a fairly open game, but I don't think anybody in their wildest dreams would have expected what actually transpired. Mm. Um, so, I mean, the PR goodwill that that Saints will have got from that um, is probably pretty high, and you can you can imagine that we'll be getting plenty of um, uh, under twenty one games and things like that in the future yep. um, off the back of it. Um, obviously, the organisation of the of the whole night seems to have gone. Uh, pretty well. I mean, mm. I saw some saw some issues with people getting in getting in the ground and things like that. But or not if everyone, if in the ground. well, if if everyone turns up at the same time, what do you expect? Yeah, preferably in England shirts. Yeah, that that would have been nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, mis- yeah, Mr. Westwood has obviously uh, had his uh, his friend at the uh, Pompey yeah. News doing doing his bidding for him. I think Neil uh, Allen wasted a whole day on that story, which is uh, fair play to him if he's got the time to do that, eh? Well, obviously got bugger all else to talk about, hasn't it? <laughs> um, which which seems extraordinary given what's yeah. coming up in um, in what ten days' time. But 
yep. each of their own. Exactly. And Adam, I know you were there as well. Um, look, it's been quite a few years since St Mary's uh, held the previous England game. So it is a good feather in the cap when these sort of occasions go well. And uh, as Steve said, you know, an entertaining game as well, which will hopefully bring some of the crowds back to St Mary's more regularly. It was a cracking game. It was, uh, yeah, like Steve said, a fantastic game and, and, and a good night. I mean, the, I guess the, the only trouble was, um, as Steve rightly said, some problems getting in, which were caused by the, the problems on the roads. And, and then we all know what Southampton's like anyway. It can yep. be pretty bad. So chuck in an England match where you've obviously got a lot of people coming from out of town um, who don't really know where they're going as such. And then you've got uh, a bit of traffic problem in Southampton. And, and it was gridlocked. I mean, I, I could literally, I've never seen traffic like that um on the approach in the approach to st mary's i literally had almost 45 minutes where my car did not move and that's unlike uh, you because i mean you normally set off about a day before the game don't you i set off very early i was mm. actually had to pop into the office and the office is what three and a half miles away from st mary's and it took me more than an hour and a half to do that journey and bearing in mind that i got within about half a mile of the ground in 15 or 20 minutes that goes to show like how just how gridlocked it became in and around the stadium and that was unfortunate there was there was a lot of it was another one of those situations where you think that the roads need to be properly managed and that's a bit of a shame for because even though that's not Saints's fault it does kind of put a bit of a black mark against the stadium logistically um mm. for these big events but I think from Saints's point of view there's not really anything they could do about that and it was a good um it was a good evening, and I like the fact, I really like the fact that the stadium is being used for more than just the 19 matches of football a year because Southampton doesn't have, uh, you know, it is very devoid of venues for, for things to happen. Yep. Um, and St Mary's is obviously one big venue it does have, and I think it's important for the area that that it actually opens up and it hosts concerts, it hosts international matches. So I think it's really, it is a really good thing that Saints are doing. If they make a few quid along the way, great. But I think as a community enterprise, it's something they should be doing. So, so good on them. Indeed. All right. Well, before we get going on this uh, episode, I just wanted to say a very big congratulations to one of our listeners, Dave Johnson, and his partner, Ali Crocker, who got engaged last weekend on the finish line of the Great North Run. Dave is a good friend of sort of our group of Saints fans that I know. So many congratulations to you both on uh, both completing the run, which I know you did in uh, behalf of Parkinson's UK, and of course, uh, getting engaged as well. So many, many congratulations to you both, and uh, we will wish you the uh, best for the future. Right. Let's get on with this episode. Partner with SaintsArchive.com and Saints world.co.uk and sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk this is tsp84 me i could never own a hot tub stop it that's the kind of negative thinking that's preventing you from sitting in a hot tub right now talk to happy hot tubs today where owning a hot tub is as easy as one two three one choose your hot tub two choose your accessories and three choose the way you pay with zero percent finance available on selected models i could own a hot tub that's the spirit you deserve happy with happy hot tubs happyhottubs.co.uk after a couple of weeks of non-action for most of the Saints squad, it was back to it this weekend up at Sheffield United, and Saints came out on top by one goal to nil. Lucy, you made the, uh, what was it, four-mile pilgrimage across there, so uh, interested to get your views generally on what you thought of the game. Yeah, really, really long journey, as you can tell, um, <laughs> via the odd pub. But um, no, um, I think I was alone in my optimism last time we spoke. You were, you thinking... grabbed a point on the prediction, so well done. I, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but thanks for saying. Um, and I, and I think actually about a week ago, I kind of thought, well, I 
probably being a bit hasty. Um, I'd spoken to quite a lot of very confident blades who, mm. who were telling me that I, we were going to lose. Um, cause I think there is quite a lot of a buoyant atmosphere around Sheffield if yeah. you're on the right side of it. Um, but yeah, no, uh, pleasantly surprised. Um, I think it was quite an open game with a lot of chances. Um, potentially from some questionable defending, which I'm sure we're going to get onto. Um, and some questionable finishing from uh, McGoldrick. Uh, and I think at times actually a, like a really good atmosphere. I don't know if, if Steve and Adam felt the same, but um, kind of quite feisty. I think VAR fueled it a bit and I'm sure mm. we'll get onto that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, really good. And I got cheered home by Wednesday fans at the end of it. Oh, so. look at that. Hey, what a love, love a happy ending. Okay, yeah, so that's yeah. good. And uh, look, I mean, Adam, look, joking aside, I mean, it was backs to the wall stuff on occasions, and I think I saw Lucy say it could have been four at one stage. I think, uh, again, all of us would agree with that. So before we get into some of the key talking points, a big three points. Yeah, really big. Really big in for so many reasons, I think. Um, obviously, the, the little run of form that, that Saints have had either side of the international break is is really encouraging now. Um, and still with that feeling that that we, and, and by we, I include Ralph as in this, don't actually know what the best team is yet. Mm. There's not, you don't feel like there's a regular settled, uh, you know, really competent team that are going out every week. And yet somehow, uh, despite, despite all of this, they are muddling together results, which mm. gives you great encouragement because at some point, I think they will get a settled team and they will click. And then you think, well, you know, what what will they be able to achieve then? Also important as well in the context, I think, of the next couple of weeks, because um, normally in a normal situation, you would look at Bournemouth and Tottenham and you'd be targeting them and you'd say the League Cup tie in between those, you would just play your reserves. Mm. Now, we all know that the League Cup tie against Portsmouth is not just another cup tie. And I'm sure and I hope I'm sure that Ralph has been told that that this is important. But the Premier League is so all engulfing these days and especially um, for managers uh, who come from abroad who just, you know, perhaps don't understand, don't quite get what this means, um, that, that there would be a temptation to really focus on the league if things were desperate. But they're actually in a good position so they can kind of go into Bournemouth, have a real good go at Bournemouth. They've got a nice little few days before Pompey so the first team can go again and then if he has to rotate out players for Tottenham because Mm. they're knackered after those two well he can and if they lose that then they've actually well a you probably expect them to lose it anyway but b you know what it it doesn't really matter that much especially if they have got the Portsmouth win because they've got these points on the board from these games and I think that for quite a number of reasons there I think it was a big win yeah Steve look I know you were at Bramwell Lane as well, so without getting too analytical, in terms of the tactical view on things, a little bit disorganised chaos at some times, or did it feel like there was a bit more structure it than, than uh, maybe uh, it sounded and sort of uh, looked like? I think um, I think when we were, when we were in possession, I actually I thought we I thought we had a good plan, and I thought we we kept possession quite well, and I think Sheffield United were very similar to us in that basically as soon as as soon as you lost the ball, yeah. all of a sudden the the defence looked completely exposed and there was no there was no sort of semblance of any shape. But going forward, I think both sides looked looked like they kind of knew what they were trying to do, uh, knew which, specifically knew exactly which areas they wanted to target mm. um, and kind of got kind of got plenty of joy other than not being able to actually score. Yeah. Um, so I think I mean, both both managers will be both 
happy with certain aspects and pretty annoyed with others, I would, I would have thought. Yeah, and, and you know, in terms of the game itself, Steve, I think we had slightly more possession. They had more shots on goal, but we had more shots on target. So I think you know there were chances, and again, we'll talk about some of them in a minute. But I know there's been a lot of chat, Steve, about this left-back situation. I know from sort of us briefly discussing with Adam offline, you know, the last few weeks he's not aware or certainly not have told us of any situation around Ryan Bertrand or anything like that. So try to understand it from a fan's point of view of kind of what is going on at left-back there. And I know Troy Deeney was sort of saying on Soccer Saturday that they looked very vulnerable. You guys obviously witnessed it firsthand. But I think that's probably the one area of the team that, you know, we're still slightly concerned about just what is going on back there. Kevin Danso, of course, was suspended, but it does look like the one sort of big hole in the team at the moment that needs some work yeah I mean that it the whole situation just doesn't seem to make an awful lot of sense if Bertrand's not fit um then why is he on the bench Mm. um and if he's fit then why is he not starting yeah because he's very clearly our best left back um he's perfectly adept at playing left wing back um in a sort of back five or back three however you want to um describe it as we as we played um yesterday Mm. Um, and yet he sat picking splinters out of his backside. Um, so there's, there's got to be something more than, than meets the eye here. Mm. It's, I mean, why, why wouldn't you pick your, pick your best players? Yeah. Um, if he's injured, he shouldn't, he shouldn't be on the bench. That's, that's the, that's the long and short of it. So, I mean, we'll wait and see if anything else comes out from it. But yeah, I'm I'm not entirely convinced we're we're seeing the full picture there. Yeah. Just to be just to be entirely clear on on this, mm. when Dancer came in, was it for Brighton that the yes it was yep. he came in? Yep. Um, obviously Bertrand had uh, dropped out with a, a niggling ankle injury, but Ralph did admit he he's on the record as saying that Danzo was playing anyway. They trained all week with Danzo at left back, so Danzo was playing. And yesterday I asked him about Bertrand uh, not playing left wing back, sitting on the bench and Gineppo playing. And he made it quite clear that was a preference in selection. That Mm. was for for a reason. Bertrand was fit to play um, and he preferred Gineppo there on Thursday before the game. When asked about it, he also I think he described Bertrand as an option at left back and then went on to talk about Hoiberg playing there um, and Cedric and things. So. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, that, that he's sounds, not, that's extraordinary, isn't yeah, it? He's it not, is, he's it not, is. for whatever reason, he's not fancying Bertrand at the moment mm. and, and is obviously trying to find other things. But the Gineppo playing there, um, as he did for half an hour, well, that was it, terrifying. I, 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 think we can, I think we can safely say after yesterday that will not be happening again. Or, <laughs> yes. or, or at least it damn well shouldn't be happening again. Yeah. I mean, they actually found someone that made me like grateful to see Ward Prowse as a wing back. I, didn't <laughs> I know, but I think that the, the fact is, you know, the only game that Bertrand's played in this season, he didn't cover himself in glory at Burnley because we lost uh, 3-0. And of course, we all remember that uh, soft third goal that started with him. But uh, look, I mean, Lucy, talking about Ralph then, um, I sort of made a comment after the game yesterday. I can't work out at the moment whether he's a sort of certified madman or a certified genius but he is picking up points he is getting results somehow he's sort of pulling them together you know we, we come up with the lineups all of us are trying to work out who's going to be playing where we can't generally do that so the oppositions probably have no clue either but as we said he's getting results the last few weeks yeah he is I mean, and it's very difficult to kind of be critical of his management when it's kind of working um mm. i think you are kind of right in the sense that we look at the team sheet and we don't don't know what's going on, so there's no way the opposition could know what's going on. Um, but I think I I still have on um of a, I'm of the opinion that 
he's a better in-game tactician yeah. than he is a pre-game tactician. I think there are multiple ex- examples, not just this season, but last season, where I felt it looked off at the beginning. The balance wasn't quite right. Mm. There were gaps and, and they were being kind of successfully exploited by the opposition. And he's had to change. I mean, what makes him so good? And, and I think what makes him kind of encouraging for fans and, and kind of the relationship with fans is that he has shown that he will change things not even kind of just simply a reshuffle as it was yesterday, but even changing system mm. mid game to mm. have a, a positive impact. And I think, you know, and that will obviously, that's the kind of tactical change in decision that fans see. And, th- and that's what tends to Im- impress fans, particularly when in our recent past, we've had managers that have been fairly passive um, kind of in an in-game scenario and, and don't seem to have control of the situation. Um, and, and I think that probably you know, endears Hasenhutl. But yeah, I think there have been rightfully questions about the way he starts games and, and the kind of lineups he goes with because the, there are periods where it is kind of really scary. Yeah. And I mean, he will say, you know, he wanted to start on the front foot and that's why he went with Gineppa at left wing back. But I think we were incredibly lucky not to concede in that mm. half an hour spell, given that Vestergaard doesn't have any pace at all, as we've covered. Um, and if he's caught in a situation with pace or he's caught in behind, there there is little opportunity to recover. And if, if your left wing back is caught a long way from where he needs to be, you, you know, you're in dire straits. So, yeah, I, it's difficult, but I still think um, there are problems in terms of initial setup, even if the mid-game stuff is good. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, and I, I think uh, I think it's Bulldog, isn't it? They're right back, but he's one of their probably their best players, so it does sort of uh, makes it even more confusing, I think, doesn't it? But uh, look, I mean, just before we talk about some of the players that uh, you know had good game for Saints, I think most importantly to focus on the goals, Steve, um, the Mali and uh, Messi, as I'm calling now, Gineppo. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, fantastic goal. He was obviously being pulled back, could easily have gone down for a foul. I think as a fan, you know, I was absolutely delighted to see that it was someone that wanted a stay on their feet and try and score a goal he obviously did a nifty bit of footwork he left two centre-backs pretty much uh, on their backsides brilliant finish I mean it was a goal worthy of winning any game yeah it's great finish um, I mean I think we'd probably possibly have a different view of um, him not going to ground if he'd not scored um, <laughs> and then and then the ball yeah. recycled to them but yeah I mean you can't be can't be over, overly critical of that and yeah I mean it was Great run, um, good strength as well to hold off Norwood because I mean Norwood was absolutely desperate to pull him back. Yeah, and he just shrugged him off as if he wasn't there. Yeah. Um, I mean the best bit was the was that sort of last um sort of shuffle of the shoulders which put um I think it was John Egan yeah. uh, put him on his backside. Um, it's like yeah, this is uh this is good. <laughs> um, that was great, great finish as well. Really composed. Um, yeah. would have been easy for him to just swing his swing his boot at it and just see where it goes. Mm. Um, I mean, Sheffield United fans must be must be fuming because they've lost the last two home games basically to absolute belters mm. at that end. Mm. Um, so obviously Leicester had the same with Harvey Barnes hitting that absolute rocket yeah. um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but no, I mean he and it was it was one of the, one of the things with Gineppo is obviously where he struggled so much in the first half an hour because he was having to be on the back foot so much. Mm. Um, the fact that he was still able to influenced the game positively in that way um sort of 35 40 minutes later um showed that he's he's got the mentality for this level i think as well yeah adam he's, he's starting to become a real 
character in in terms of you know the fan base were obviously starting to to love him. I was watching. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have seen those Dan Hargreaves videos. He was doing the alternative commentary, but uh, sort of saying about ringing Manny because he obviously does the phone celebration, ringing Manny to say there's a new sheriff in town and all those sort of things. And he's starting to, uh, I think, become a bit of a character within the squad. They all seem to be talking very positively about him as well, Adam. So someone that I think hopeful can uh, deliver a real bit of quality to the squad this year. Hopefully he can sustain it. I mean, mm. he looks like he's got that you know we talked about it when he signed that we hope he'd sort of have a bit of that chaos factor about him the Mane brawl um and he does look like he's got it and he does look and you know there is a lot of reminders of Mane in his play in that he's still very very raw like when Mane joined Saints he's obviously got pace to burn he's got a lot of technical ability strength he's got quite you know he's obviously a good character as well um he's a good age there's a lot to like about the signing and and you know we've hammered the club for some poor signings and yes it's early days with this one but it looks like they've picked out a good one here for a decent price so credit to them for that i think the you know as the the, the guys have already said the thing that we do know about him for certain though, though is he's not a left wing back um <laughs> so yeah, it was, any <laughs> yeah. No, i mean when sheffield united started like just pumping the long balls in behind him i mean it was uh <laughs> He he looked like literally like he did. He had no idea what to do. Mm. Um, and again, it was another one of those mm, Saints Saints struggling against direct play is it does continue to concern you. But obviously, Gineppo won't won't be playing there again in a hurry. <laughs> I don't think. No, um, no. But yeah, really really exciting, very exciting player. And uh, I, I guess that that choice that Ralph's got of of him. Uh, Redmond and Bufal in those positions actually does give him um, some different options in those attacking roles. And, and we I guess we would have feared that Redmond being out would have kind of been the end of days not very long ago. And now Redmond being out while still a miss is not... Um, you know, it's not like the, the team is going to crumble. Yeah, I'm not sure whether I should be calling him the Marlian Mane now or the Marlian Messi, but after that goal yesterday, I think I'm going to stick with the Messi for the moment. But uh, no, I just wanted to talk to you about Che Adams. Adam, I know that uh, you were obviously very positive about it. Lucy, I know you had a, a good view on him as well, so maybe I can get your thoughts. But look, he's trying his best. He had a, a good header that was well saved by the keeper. He obviously pinged one off the post yesterday as well. He's doing everything but sort of score at the moment, Adam. But I know his play has been impressing you, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm not too concerned about him, to be honest with you. I know that if it, the run goes on too much longer, that it, it does become a bit of a millstone. You do worry a little bit, but uh, his all-round play is really good, and he's leading the line. He's he's offering a lot, um, and the, the way that Saints are playing, and, and they're playing you know off of him, it kind of is is a sort of a bit of a slightly new style of play, and it's one that that they can't really play with Danny Ings. So they're going to have to really change up styles as and when, you know, if and when they decide to play Ings. And so kind of Adams gives that youthfulness, that vibrancy, the pace, the power. Um, all that's missing is a goal. And he's just, he just seems completely devoid of any good fortune whatsoever. I mean, yeah. there's been over the games, there has been one or two that he probably should have scored. But then there's been a heck of a lot of others that you've thought, you wouldn't have needed an awful, awful lot of luck for that one to have gone in, but yeah. I think he's he's contributed really well. And, and you know, I, I I think when as and when Redmond comes back, I look at that that trio of of uh, Redmond, Gineppo and Adams, and think 
wow, I mean, that that looks really dangerous to me. Mm. And outside of the, the big six, that looks like a really competitive front, fr- front, front three. I'm still yeah. not sold on Buffel. I'm really not sold on Buffel. Mm. But I think the other, those three, really, that's that's... That's serious competition for for anybody outside the big teams. I think maybe he's saving his first competitive winner for Fratton Park, which I think we'd all take. But uh, Lucy, just coming on to you on Che then, I know, again, you were impressed with him yesterday, yeah? Definitely. Um, I kind of agree with a lot of what Adam said. Um, I think he's showing kind of a good trajectory in terms of what he's doing. Like He's getting closer and closer from what I can tell. I think yesterday he was really unlucky in the sense he didn't... he hit the post, didn't he? And, and mm. he had that really good save from Henderson on that header. I think, you know, th- those could have easily gone in. And I think, again, it's just kind of rubber the green, really, that he's not really getting at the moment. Um, I think he, as kind of, I don't I feel like I'm repeating Adam a little bit, but um, he's he's really good at kind of the channel running mm-hmm. and the kind of more direct stuff. I think there are a couple of opportunities where long balls over the top kind of put him through, which we don't really have um, unless you kind of get Redmond really high up the pitch. Yeah. You know, that's kind of a new element. Um, and he's doing a lot of kind of quite kind of kind of thankless running in the sense that he, he doesn't, it's not necessarily for his benefit, but for the team's benefit that he's kind of creating space down channels. Um, and, and I think he's doing everything um, Ralph would want of him, I think. And I think that is why he's, we're seeing him start despite the lack of goals in the sense that he, he offers so much, even when he's not necessarily getting those goals. Yep. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's always going to be difficult for a championship striker to come into the, into the Premier League and kind of immediately start firing. And, and there needs to be a degree of, of kind of patience with him. But if, if Ralph's happy with what he's seeing and he, he clearly is or he wouldn't keep playing him um, and, and he's kind of contributing in, in other ways, I, I don't think there is any reason to be to be particularly concerned. Mm. Um, to kind of pivot off what Adam just said, I think, I know he's, he's not yet convinced about Bufal, um, but I thought Bufal actually was quite a good kind of compliment to Adams yesterday at times. Um, I think Adams and Ings isn't quite working yet. Um, I think there are issues with them working as a pair. Um, yeah. I don't don't know if they are quite kind of on the same wavelength yet. Um, and actually, Adams, I think when Adams has looked good, he's often been on his own rather than withings. Um, and I think Buffal just offered him something slightly different to work off, um, made him more of the kind of focal point of the attack and let Buffal kind of do the things off him. Um, and as much as I also have concerns about Buffal, um, I think he actually played quite well yesterday. Yeah. Look, Steve, I'm a big fan of Sofian Buffal. I think everyone knows that. I love his uh, flair and his sort of unpredictability. Um, you sent a tweet out this morning, actually. You retweeted it, which I saw, which was that Sofian Buffal completed more dribbles in Southampton's 1-0 win at Sheffield United, nine dribbles, than any other player has managed in a Premier League match this season. So he sounds like he's uh, trying his best to add a bit of impact. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think we should necessarily be surprised by that stat because he likes to dribble, it, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, if you look, um, there was obviously that stat that was doing the rounds in the summer, where um, basically all of the attacking play stats in La Liga last season were, were every single one of them was won by Lionel Messi over the course of the season, except for completed dribbles, which yep. was, um, which was won by some distance by Buffal. Yep. Um so him completing dribbles and and being top of that stat in in the Premier League I don't think is that much of a surprise. Mm. 
Um, but no, I, I thought he was excellent yesterday, to be fair. Yes. Um, and I mean, you could, you could see that there's, I mean, we, this was something that we discussed in the summer, wasn't it? That whether, um, given that he's, he's kind of had a two or three different managers where it's not quite worked out entirely as we'd wanted. There's been sort of flashes, but there's also been flash points. Mm. Um, and we thought, well, if, if any manager's going to get the, going to get the most out of him, it's going to be someone like Ralph. Yep. And yeah, I mean, so far, um, yeah, thoroughly impressed. Yeah. I think. A good stat on the BBC actually about Buffal. Go for it. That he's got two assists in his last three Premier League appearances, which is as many as he managed in his previous 51 appearances in the Premier League. There you go. That is a good stat. That is a good stat. So I, I think it, you know, I think we're all aware that, uh, I don't know. I mean, chucking him in at a game like Sheffield United away, which you know is going to be a physical, tough encounter is, uh, you know, certainly shows some confidence on Ralph's part. I think, you know, we're aware that Redmond's uh, out and all that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, you know, hopefully he can still add value. I think that's what we're all uh, looking for. Um, look, Adam, uh, at least you mentioned VAR earlier on. Of course, it did play its part again yesterday, I think as you three will know being in the stand and the stadium you don't get to see or hear much of it other than uh, what's on the screen but the offside um the uh, the handball potentially at the end the, you know the, the sort of VR incidents as they came up did you think that they were all sort of generally right yeah i think so it was obviously offside so mm. i mean that's black and white and and rightly chalked off um yeah, but bernie wasn't... didn't think so last night but there we go well, he doesn't that understand active, the offside rule, does he? He, he clearly <laughs> whereas, doesn't. Whereas, <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's fine because if Sheffield United go down, he won't have to put up with it next season. <laughs> like yeah. it, like it. Um, well, I I did think it was it was the correct decision. So I think we all did. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, so, even Wilder did. So he I mean, did. To be fair, <laughs> didn't he? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I think the thing is what I'd like to see though. I was not as desperately impressed by by um, the amount of surrounding the referee. Uh, while VAR is being checked, that seemed to. I think I think players are going to hopefully get used to the fact that VAR is checking all these things, so you don't need to go and stand and berate the referee. Mm. And there's no value in berating the referee and telling him it was definitely offside while VAR is checking because it makes absolutely no difference whatsoever. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I imagine that's probably a message that Ralph will be passing on as well because it wasn't really a great look what took place then but anyway it was a great but you, decision but do you think just on that adam because chris wilder mentioned it as well and he was clearly talking about saints but if it if it was sort of like a or oh, we're not sure it looks like their level type thing you know it's up to you referee go with your gut and your linesman type thing then maybe that influence from saints players would affect in one way i'm not saying that i agree with it but i guess there is that still that chance that if it isn't 100 percent clear that they may be swayed by a team that is in their area which none of us really want to see well not for offside because that's black and white isn't it var will rule on offside what the, there is a difference with like the the penalty mm-hmm. um, and uh, the the potential Ward Prowse handball, and I I happen to agree with Ralph, and I, I get what you're saying that Ralph said, yeah we we maybe we got a bit lucky, maybe we didn't. It's hard, you know, but um, but it, it's right that if there's contention, if there's doubt, that it stays the decision stays with the on field officials, yep, the referee, yep, yep. Um, and I completely agree with that, and uh, that's. It was, it obviously the ball hit his arm. Um, mm. Was it deliberate? Not really. Mm. Was it a penalty? Borderline. Yeah. But if the referee said no, and VAR looks and go, mm, it's not obviously a, you know, a, it's not an obvious handball. He's not whacked the ball away deliberately, clearly. So um, it sticks with the on-field referee. So I think for me, it worked well. 
Um, I'm concerned we're using. Came to. Yeah, I'm concerned we're using up all our luck on VAR, Adam, because that's what three goals already this season <laughs> the opposition have ruled well, out. Well, even and... Ralph did say, <laughs> like, you know, it's gonna, it is gonna go against us. Yeah. In terms of Saints, then, Steve, just to finish on the Sheffield United game, that's three away wins in all competitions now, three clean sheets, the first time since 1986 when you and I were just sort of pretty much still walking around in uh, nappies. I know there's been a lot of luck with Saints probably the last few weeks, but as we said, you know, they are picking up results and clean sheets is a good way to start. And if you can keep a clean sheet, you've got a great chance of winning a football match. Well, we're grinding it out, aren't we? We're mm. um, we're all of a sudden not looking like we're going to just collapse in a horrible heap um, late in games, which was obviously a key problem throughout last season. I mean, not not just under Hughes, but also um, in the significant period of the season that, that Ralph was manager as well. And to have got that kind of sorted, I mean, we obviously had that... Um, sort of 15 minute spell at Burnley on, on the opening day where all of a sudden we're thinking, Oh God, here we go again. Yep. Um, but yeah, since then we've looked, we've looked pretty, pretty decent. I mean, I don't think Sheffield United in the last five, 10 minutes, I think McGoldrick had, had that one from, from close range, which I think was always going to be, I think it's going to be difficult to score from that angle. Yeah. Um, Gunn made a decent save. I mean, and that's, that's another, another point that Gunn seems to have rediscovered a little bit of form, which mm. is, which is always a bonus. Yeah. Overlapping with a changing goalkeeping coach, I'm not thinking that's a coincidence. <laughs> well, yeah. It's, um... Well, Ralph, Ralph did discuss that after the game as well. He did, oh, he did, did bring he? that up, yeah, and he did say, you know, I didn't expect such immediate results, really, with the changing goalkeeping coach. He, he was also... <laughs> Damn, praised Dave, well, he also <laughs> praised Dave Watson as well in terms of, you know, he said that actually, because uh, Dave Watson's new job is being in charge of set pieces. iPad um, holder. It does. It doesn't really sound like a job, does it? Being in charge of set pieces. <laughs> Didn't Koeman um, lean on him for quite a lot of that yes, stuff as he well? Did, yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. always done it. It, it. it is a job. I was just joking that like the job title of of set piece man is like a set <laughs> throwing man. To well, be fair, the, which the, is what the, Liverpool the, have got. The, the set piece man sounds coach. like set piece man sounds like the worst superhero in the world. <laughs> does it? <laughs> and, let, and let's face it, if there's any team in the Premier League that could do with a throwing coach, it's us. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. is true. Actually. Yeah, but you you just mentioned McGold. Uh, Steve, Look, I mean, yeah, just finishing on the the game. Then it was, uh, I thought it was handy that there was a couple of ex Saints players that thought they would do us a favour by McGoldrick yeah. managing not to do anything in front of goal, and then of course Billy getting himself sent off for a pretty nasty tackle on Stuart Armstrong. Actually, I yeah, thought. I mean, it was, it was weird that Sharp clearly seems... wasn't deliberate. I don't think, but yeah. Well, it's yeah, it's, it's an odd one. I mean, it's again, it's I think I think the referee's right to send him off on the basis that Sharp has done exactly the same as what Andoni did. Um, a few weeks back in that he turned his head away mm. so he's not looking at what he's challenging or where his foot's going and therefore he's not in control of his body yeah. and I mean, he doesn't catch Armstrong particularly strong I don't think but it's pretty high mm. and I mean, from, from that basis I don't think I don't think they'll have any complaints so I, I think Wilder basically said yeah that's it seemed fair enough to me although um I think one one of their players who was interviewed for their one of the, for the local paper um basically just decided he was going to go up go sort of full fake news and say well no I, I didn't think there was, didn't think there was anything in it I, I thought the um the goal was fine and it should have stood it all basically just went ridiculous um but yeah I think I don't I don't think Sharp will have any complaints when he once he's seen it back, well, which I'm sure he's already done um, already. Um, and yeah, McGoldrick's finishing was kind of probably what we expect of him, I guess. 
Before we move on to preview the Bournemouth game, we've got a question from one of our listeners that we'll come on to in a minute. But sadly, one of our Saints' former chairman lost his life earlier this week to cancer, Leon Crouch. And Adam, I know you'd like to say a few words just sort of in tribute of him. I just thought it was uh, a moment to reflect. He obviously is an important part of what was a very turbulent period for the club through the many changes that took place in a short space of time, sort of 2007 through 2009-ish. So was it something like that? Mm-hmm. Um and obviously in administration as well. I mean, I, I did put a tweet out. I mean, I won't expand on it too much further, but he, he and I, when he was chairman, didn't always see eye to eye. We didn't agree on a few things. So he didn't like a few things that I wrote. And I, I didn't agree with a few of the, the, the ways he did things. But nonetheless, um, the the one thing that was never in doubt was that, that he loved the football club. Yeah. Um, he was a big supporter of the, the football club, obviously, and continued to be, continued to have an executive box with Patran and invite Laurie McMenemy um, in, because other, otherwise Laurie doesn't get any any invites, which seems a absolutely bonkers, but mm-hmm. welcome to the world of Santa Football Club. Mm-hmm. Um, when the club needed somebody the most is when he really stepped up, and that was when they were in administration, Negotiations were ongoing with Leaper and with several other parties, um, but none of them were at that stage prepared to put their hand in their pocket and keep the club afloat whilst negotiations were taking place apart from Leon. And Leon paid out, you know, I think in the region of half a million pounds of his own money to pay bills, uh, to pay wages, to pay employees. um, And without that, um, the administrator was very clear Southampton Football Club would not have existed Marcus Lieber would not have bought Southampton Football Club because it would not have existed mm. so I think for that contribution alone and forgetting anything else um, you know he deserves our thanks and uh, recognition at this point in time especially as he's passed away well said Adam yeah good alright then uh, right moving on then um, we had a question in this week from Edward Barron so he uh, sent an email through to us so Ed thanks very much for the question so Lucy I'm going to start with you and then Steve will get your view on this as well because it's always a fun question it's about the good old black box and uh, in light of the uh, transfer window completed so Ed's email said if and when we've managed to offload a lot of our unwanted goods how much confidence do we have these days in the black box the common logic seems to be that it's let us down recently but it's always seemed hit or miss to me Mayuka, Ramirez, foreign guy Ardos, Juanmi, Juricic, Pied, etc, etc. And it seems that thanks to the mess we've got ourselves in, any transfer decisions are much higher stakes than usual. Thanks, Ed. So, Lucy, black box, fact or fiction? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know a lot of what happens behind the scenes, um, and probably Adam's better placed. Um, I know his his views on it, I'm not going to ask him. Oh, right. Is it like that, is it? Yeah. I'm going to butt in at the end. He won't go with fact, put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm going to just kind of slightly dodge the question. All right, then. Um, I'm just going to kind of approach it as, you know, transfer policy more generally. Okay. Whether there is a black box yeah. or not. Or any other colour of box. Or, yeah, orange box, pink box, etc. Um, I think if there is or isn't a black box, if you're looking at kind of the recruitment more generally, and I think that's kind of what the question's getting at, I think, mm. I suppose. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Like our approach to transfers. Yes. I think there have been problems and there will always be problems um and yes it doesn't always get it right i think it's got it right a lot less recently but i then also kind of was thinking about this more broadly and there's been so much turbulence at the club that i think it's actually quite difficult to assess 
how much is a recruitment issue and how much is kind of other kind of contextual issues. So, you know, we've had several changes in management and until Hasenhutl probably away from coaches that have been kind of interested in talent development, I think probably Puel was the last one that kind of was kind of passionate about young players and, and was really into it. Yep. And I think a lot of what we've done both successfully and unsuccessfully has been kind of picking out these rough diamonds that we feel have resale value, that we feel have potential to develop and, and kind of grow with the club. And I think if you've not got coaches that are interested in that kind of um, development, then it's never going to work very well. Um, I think there have been kind of positive moments, um, kind of, I think the 16, 17 summer gets kind of quite a lot of bad press, but actually wasn't that bad because it kind of brought us in Hoybier and Redmond and whatever you might think of in Buffal. But yeah. then kind of 17, 18 was, was awful because we kind of got Lamina and who, and who knows what we're going to do with them. But again, you know, then that was also the summer we brought in Pellegrino. So I think there are kind of a lot of contextual issues, which make assessing our transfer policy difficult and we've also now changed leadership in quite a significant way um, and changed management in quite a significant way so kind of going forward um, is quite difficult I think the summer before last we saw a pattern of picking up quite good players but weren't necessarily right for the squad and Mm. I think you know for example Gunn's a good example despite his improvements this season and his kind of potential as a player he was a weird purchase and I think Armstrong was also a weird purchase. So mm. there are kind of these situations where I think sometimes it's not just about identifying talent, but also identifying the needs of the squad. Um, so I feel like I've waffled a lot, but, no, no, but basically what I'm answer. trying to say is yeah. I think <laughs> the, the kind of the transfer policy isn't just a transfer policy in itself. It, you know, it matters a lot on getting, working out what you need, working out what's going to work with the manager. And I think there's been so much turbulence recently, either through styles of play, styles of coaching, etc. It's very difficult to work out what is and isn't working. And I think someone like Hasenhutl will help with that massively, just in the sense that he's much more into developing talent, much more. He seems to have a much clearer idea about what he wants, even if that's kind of a blueprint and not necessarily a specific player. Um, and I think that will help give the club more grounding. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I'm kind of... I'm saying basically the rough diamond thing hasn't really worked, but I feel like Hasenhutl might be the right person to get it working again. Yeah, no, no, I think that's a, a good answer. And Steve, I mean, I, I guess I would just say to you, and, and let me know if I'm saying this wrong, Lucy, but yeah, I think sometimes Saints have become obsessed with the player and not necessarily the position. I mean, how many times do we hear Les Reed say, you know, he's our number one target, etc., etc.? So <laughs> do, you, do you think there's always been faith that the black box is bringing up, do you, you know, just players that we think we would w- want to bring in and therefore we've brought them in? Or do you think there's always been, and again, we don't know what happens behind the scenes, but actually focus on that we need to find the right centre midfielder rather than we need to find the next diamond that we can bring in for five million and, you know, sell for 20 million? I think the, I think part of the problem now is that obviously when we when the black box was kind of in its first sort of mythical um, sort of superhuman uh, status, um, we stole the march on on basically all of our peers mm. um, by having this sort of really wide ranging analytical approach, and everybody else is caught up with it now and yeah. is doing either the same or better. Yeah. Um, and also there's, I mean, obviously you've got the, the, probably the, the biggest position, biggest issue for a club of our size is the 
ludicrous inflation now. Just what I was going to say. Yeah, the transfer market's changed, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, so whereas, um, like four or five years ago, when when we were paying anywhere between twelve and fifteen million pound for a player, that was a big deal. Um, now for us, twelve to fifteen million quid is still a lot of money, but you're now not getting anywhere near as good or polished a player as as you were back then. I mean, from from what we've seen so far, we've 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 lucked out with um Gineppo. Yeah. Um but I mean it, it could could easily have, have gone and could still go um the other way. It's you you don't get guarantees um with with players at, at that price and also I suspect I mean the, the stuff where you you mentioned Les Reed saying oh he's our number one target. Mm. I'd be very surprised if any of the players we've signed in the last two or three years have genuinely been our number one target. I think we all because would. I because I reckon that um, our number one targets um, would have probably ended up being north of twenty million quid, and therefore automatically put us out of the running for it. Yeah, I think it would be a lot more fun, Adam. Just before you come in to say, uh, oh, you know, he was our ninth target, so we're delighted to get him. <laughs> Why not? Isn't that what they said about Steve Bruce in Newcastle? He's our tenth <laughs> tenth choice. Or I don't think they actually said that publicly. Yeah, it, um, yeah, but it came quite good public <laughs> knowledge, didn't it? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Go on, then. I think have your say on the black box. It's just a myth. The black box is not a thing. And I think it's, I, I get it. It's lovely for fans to have something that's got a catchy name to think that their club are so clever. But and there's so a much door at Staple that says black box on it, Adam. What does that mean? So what's it's behind a door it? With a, my goodness me, you're so gullible. <laughs> it's just an in-depth scouting and recruitment system. It's nothing. It's not quite as catchy, the, is it? No, it's just. It sounds like magic, doesn't it, when it's a black box, when it it's does. just like exactly. a kind of logical An in-depth thing. scouting Ultimately, system. Ultimately. I think it's, also, it's still people that are signing players. It's yeah. still people that are picking yeah. them. And you can have one person pick them. You can have a committee pick them and think that that reduces the risk of of making a bad uh, decision. But ultimately, the, there are some signings that look great and don't work out. There are some signings that look terrible and turn to be good. And most of the time, if you sign players that rich really just don't look that good then they aren't that good and if you sign players that are good then they generally do turn out to be good i think the most important thing for saints is one the philosophy and like lucy rightly said to kind of get back to this kind of way of being where they're in a hugely inflated market they are going to try and pick off again your gineppos your che adams very young players it's, it is a risky move in some ways, but it's probably Saints' best move, given their lack of finance. And also, key for them is to try and pick off um, and, and have more good recruitment and scouting in that sort of 15, 16, 17-year-old type bracket. Um, because that's where they're, they're, you know, they're, they're making good progress. The academy, despite all the talk and, and Ralph liking young players, let's be honest, it's not producing regular first teamers look at the squad again uh for sheffield united for all the talk of it it's ward prowse is the only player who's come through the academy in the 18 there um and the other people who are in and around the players that have been bought at sort of 16 years old from other clubs that have come through other academy systems and all we've done is is cherry picked good ones off and then and then you know sort of added some coaching to them just below first team level. But that is important for Saints as well. If they, they feel that there's a lack of talent coming through that's going to make a big first team impact, then trying to use their position as a Premier League club to kind of lure away some of the best talent um, at that kind of age from, from lower clubs, though it, 
it seems a bit bad. They still win out with some money as well. Um, and that's probably a good way to go. And that, that scouting and recruitment does look like it's been really successful in the last few years when you see your Oberfemis, your Valeries and people like that in and around the first team. So that's really important as well. But the black box as a whole, it's a data analysts um, and storage facility, basically. And Saints have a huge team of people watching games, clipping them up, um, compiling stats and data that are coming in from various agencies that they pay. Um, and then they have a resource that they can do. To, you know, it's a it's a very interactive spreadsheet, basically, um, th- with, with video clips. I think also, I think perhaps, you know, five or six years ago when it, it was working really well for us, I think a lot of teams of kind of similar stature to us probably weren't quite so switched on to it. Mm. Whereas I think you find now there are a lot of clubs that have worked out that if you, you know go to slightly more peripheral countries and you look at their best talent, you will find kind of good, good talent. I think, you know, teams like Brighton are quite a good example. They've, they've kind of bought a lot of the similar ilk of players we'd have been looking at. And I think that's, that's kind of almost forced us to kind of look a bit younger mm. in, in terms of kind of, level because that there's a lot more competition probably than, than when we first were looking and, and first kind of compiling all this analytical stuff um it was probably a bit more at the cutting edge than it is now where it is pretty much the standard for, for kind of any premier league team yeah. um i know i've been talking to a few people around Sheffield united who feel that they they're quite a long way off that because so many Premier League clubs have this infrastructure for kind of analysis that, you know, championship clubs don't necessarily have. Um, and so I think that's kind of quite an important part, but but, but now quite an average part of, of a Premier League club. Yeah, you do see a lot of the same players linked with the likes of Brighton or a Leicester, you know, or a Saints, the same sort of clubs that have been yeah. established in the Premier League for a while, don't you? So, uh, all right then, Adam. So just to, just to finish Ed's question, Adam. Unlike set-piece man, there's definitely not a black box man walking around Staple with, with his pants over his trousers and a cape on. <laughs> There's no answer to Just that. a yes or no will do. Yeah, I feel like you might have extended yes. the analogy yes. a bit far. Definitely. Total Saints Podcast. Total Saints Podcast. Sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk. Next up for Saints is the visit of the always excitable Bournemouth. Well, that's their uh, fans mainly, but uh, there we go. Adam, when we previewed this game at the end of last season, you said you were just starting to sort of hear and sense some rumblings of discontent towards Eddie Howe from Bournemouth fans. They obviously arrive at St Mary's with uh, an identical record to ours. 1-2, drawn one and uh, lost two after the Everton game. They're only ahead of us on uh, goals scored, I think. So do you think that discontent is still around or do you think it's maybe eased on him a bit more uh, now that we're into a new season? I think I get the sense it's eased a bit now we're in a new season. I just think Bournemouth are in this weird position that the clubs get themselves into. And we've seen Saints get there as well, where you can hit like a bit of a glass ceiling for for what your club can achieve. Um, And once you get there, it's very difficult because even though if you zoom out and you, you, you look at it and think, oh, you should be very grateful. The outside world thinks you should be really grateful to be there. Um, no matter what that means, actually, it can not feel like that to the supporters. I mean, we can go back in the very recent history of Southampton Football Club and say that, um, you know, and, you know, Claude Puel, even um, I was thinking, you know, going back a little bit further. But even if you look at Claude Puel for a moment, finishing eighth and getting to the cup final looked like a really good season after the last two that had happened. And yet the outside world 
thought Saints fans were were terrible people for wanting Claude out because they thought the football was boring and, and said, well, you're a bit big for your boots. And we think that a little bit. But well, how can you be moaning about Eddie Howe? Look, at you've got ground that holds 11,000 or 12,000 or whatever it is. You're a, you're a small club and the things he done he's done for you are amazing. But football kind of almost these days waits for nobody. And it's like, well, you should be progressing to the next level. Well, ultimately, clubs do hit a glass ceiling. You can't I think that's, progress to the next level, can you? Exactly. No. Otherwise, everybody's going to win the title, and not everybody's going to be in the. Yeah, you know, there there is a glass ceiling on the top six as well, and, and as long as it's not Liverpool, God, it's going to be, be, isn't it? It's going yeah. yeah. to be horrendous. I know. Right. In terms of their uh, transfer activity, then, Steve, just during the summer, they bought in Jack Stacey from Luton, four million; Philip Billing from Huddersfield, fifteen million; Arno Groneveld, yes, said it right. Club Bruges, fourteen million. Uh, Harry Wilson was probably the standout, of course. What did you sort of make of their transfer business this summer? And do you think it will help them kick on to maybe sort of getting towards that top ten to top eight position? Um, I don't know really. It's I think a, a lot of their business, you kind of look at individuals and think, okay, that that kind of makes sense. But I don't think the I think defensively they're just still going to be very naive. Mm. They're still going to play the same system. Um, I think Billing is probably going to actually be the turn out to be their best signing because I think he's he provides. I mean, he just provides a huge upgrade on any player that they've had in the centre of midfield yep. over the last couple of years. Even um, Lewis Cook. Um, well, problem problem with Cook is that he keeps getting these big injuries. Mm. Um, as promising as he is, if you if you can only keep him on the pitch for three months a season, um, it's difficult to build a midfield around him. Um, and I think he I think he's got all the talent in the world, but um, until his I guess until his luck kind of improves, um, it's diff- you can't as I say you can't build a team around him. So I think I think Billing is a very important signing for them. Um, he was probably the only player that even vaguely impressed for Huddersfield last season. Scored against us, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, was, that wasn't overly impressive goalkeeping either, was it? It was um, <laughs> straight straight down the middle from about 30 yards. Um, but, yeah, I, I do kind of wonder what where Bournemouth go. I mean, as, as Adam said, it's like every club's got their glass ceiling and Bournemouth seem to continually be headbutting it. Mm. Um They've decided rather that rather than kind of go down our our approach of um, cashing in on on the players that are going to be the most valuable, um, that they're actually basically just going to throw all the money at them. Mm. Um, so so obviously Callum Wilson's now on a hundred grand a week nice. at least, which I mean is lovely work if you can get it, but I mean is that sustainable? We'll find um, out, won't we? We'll, we'll find out. Obviously, if they ended up if they end up going down, then he'd be first name out the door anyway, but. Mm. It's just, yeah, I mean, the the numbers for, for a club of that size who, I mean, let's, let's face it, we remind them often enough. Um, Fifteen years ago, we were um, we were chucking coins in buckets. We were. Uh, and now their uh, their wage bill is probably about the same as ours, I guess. Yeah. It's very extraordinary. Yeah. There we go. That's probably enough Total Cherries podcast. We've uh, gone on a bit yeah. further than I thought. But uh, no, um, look, Lucy, as uh, Adam mentioned earlier, this game kicks off a tough looking week probably for Saints. You know, the visit of Pompey and Spurs in the seven days after the game. So important for confidence that we play well and get something from this game. Yeah, definitely. And I think while we may have questions about whether it should be regarded as a derby, um, I, I wouldn't say it was. But it's not know, a derby. Some, some no. people no. would. Would. I mean, some Bournemouth fans would. It's not even in the same um, county. It's a derby warm-up. 
I know, yeah. but I feel like pre Derby Derby, kind of yep. building into the actual Derby. Mm. I think it's kind of quite it's quite a good build up in that sense. Kind of you stepping from yeah. regular games to the fake Derby to the real Derby. Yep. Um, kind of you know there is that kind of sense about it. Um, and I think a lot of people. I mean, I still see our players talk about it as a derby, so I don't know if they actually think it's a derby or not. But either way, whether you think it is or not, it's it's important to to get something out of it, and it's important to kind of have a a feel good around the place rather than just kind of limping your way into the Portsmouth game, which might not be such a good idea. Yeah, uh, I've I've always thought that Bournemouth should maybe create a rival with Gillingham because I don't think Gillingham have got a derby either have they so those two could maybe just become friends bearing in mind they obviously just kick a random yeah just I mean obviously because they're obviously left out maybe pass out and go for Brighton yeah but then Brighton have got Palace haven't they so yeah. maybe they I just go for the weird one though Brown, Brown, Brown. yeah maybe Bournemouth but, could go, go Brown the, Island, yeah, the, or something. the, the Palace Brighton one is all basically because of Alan Mullery right um, back in the 70s I think um, yeah, so it's, it's all very weird, but yeah, yeah obviously, obviously living uh, living around Palace, it's um, yeah, it's, it, it's a strange place anyway. But yeah, um, yeah, that's an odd one that that they they all do take it genuinely very very seriously. I feel like a lot of Bournemouth fans take us quite seriously though. It's they quite do. worrying. They do, don't they? It's cute. Oh, they it's cute just, in a way. They, they absolutely despise us, yeah. whereas we just pat them on the head nicely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I quite like them. No, I like them as well. I'd like to see them do well, but uh, there we go. I mean, I guess they got to try and hate someone, and if it can't be Weymouth, then it can be us, can't it? But uh, <laughs> there we go. So, yeah, let's do some predictions then. So, as we mentioned, Lucy, you got a point for Saints winning, so you had 2-1 at Sheffield United. So, well done for uh, getting that. Um, you sent your prediction three. You've gone for uh, Steve Grant's famous Desmond 2-2. Yeah, I just feel like looking looking at the game yesterday, we, we still can't defend. Um and I think it was probably more luck than judgment that we didn't concede yesterday or, or McGoldrick's bad shooting, whichever way you look at it. <laughs> or a bit of everything. Um, but, you know, we, undeniably, we're creating a good share of chances. And I think, you know, Shay Adams will tell you that. He, he will. That he's getting chances. Um, so I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting an, another kind of similar affair to yesterday, with, but with probably more of the shots going in. So, yeah. Good. Okay. All right. So it's on, it's on television Friday night under the lights. Everyone will enjoy a tool. Uh, Game, but Steve's gone even better. Steve is uh, he's full of confidence. Steve, you've gone for a three-one Saints win. Yeah, I mean, I just think that I mean Bournemouth's record away from home in general is poor. Mm-hmm. Um, their away record against us is even worse. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously it's one of those nice, nicely jinxed something's got to give type things. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, I mean they they just don't impress me defensively. And we've not really played anybody yet whose defence has been really unimpressive. Mm. Um, I mean, Sheffield United were a bit open, but they're uh, they've not been. It's not that's not a defence that's been constructed at a cost of about seventy-five million pound. No. Whereas, whereas Bournemouth's is. Yeah. And um, and therefore they should probably be doing a lot more with with what they've spent, but. Um, Obviously, on the flip side, they're they're obviously good, um, very dangerous going forwards. Mm. Um, so I'll be absolutely um, delighted if Eddie decides that he's going to pick Dominic Solanke again because he's a public. <laughs> What's it they spend on him? Nineteen million. Nineteen million pounds. Yeah, million pounds. daylight so, robbery. They keep <laughs> Liverpool running, don't they? I mean, they, they do. bought I for a lot of money. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Klein was there for a bit, wasn't he? And <sighs> mad. Yeah. 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 He's like the English Guido Carrillo, isn't he? We got um, there's another one. Well, there's the, the lesser spotted Brad Smith, 
Of who, um, course. Yeah, I knew he went, he went same, same as summer as I, didn't he? He's, God, where is he? He's, he's over in, he's over on loan in MLS for 18, he's on 18 month loan deal. Um, yeah, it's just like hold of money. Seattle Sounders. Seattle Sounders. There you go. So good. So yep, Steve's gone for three one. Um, it won't have escaped anyone's attention that I am I'm fully fledged with this reverse psychology thing now. Three nil ones in a row, and we've picked up seven points. So obviously I'm sticking with Bournemouth to win nil one because that uh, hopefully fingers crossed will mean that uh, Saints keep this good run uh, going. Adam, I've got a blank um inclusion next to you here, so it doesn't look like you sent your prediction through. I refuse. I've told you this. I refuse to go for any of the others. Then I I refuse to play it like this. Winging the predictions on the day is much. It takes all the fun out. Like, oh, send me your predictions in advance. And anyway, (laughs) if we all send them to you privately, then you've got the advantage that you can have a study of all of them (laughs) and then come up with your prediction on the back of that. Who's not helping him though? Who finished bottom of the prediction league last year, and who's currently bottom of the prediction league this year, Adam? I don't know this year's prediction league. Well, it's me. I mean, I'm it's assuming me. I'm 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 top. I oh, know Steve's good at predictions, isn't he? Actually, yeah, he's probably top. Yeah. Right. So two things then, Adam. Do we think Nathan Redmond will be fit? And what is your prediction? Uh, or will he keep him I, for the proper derby, 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 I, derby, derby? I have derby. a feeling that he would, if he's fit, he would probably pop him on the bench, give him half an hour, and keep him for the for the actual derby. Yeah. Um, I think that would make sense to me. Uh, um, I'm and for this as well. Yes, I think I'm going to go for a 2-0 Saints win. Blimey, a clean sheet. That'll be two in a row. Incredible. Worth noting, actually, on the clean sheet factor, that we've conceded the same number of goals as last season's reigning champions, and only four teams have conceded fewer. Yeah, but it's been... Which is mental. It's been a season so far of terrible defending, if we're Mm. honest. (laughs) And yet we've only conceded six. Yeah. Half, yeah. of which came in, half of which came in 15 minutes. Burnley. I mean, the thing is, the thing is, though, I was thinking about this today when I was putting my notes together. I know Burnley was a bit of a car crash, but we played well against Liverpool. We did OK against Brighton. We did OK against Man United. We did OK against Sheffield United. So there is that momentum there going. So, you know, maybe some of the points that we got on the board and the goals we're scoring and the clean sheets we're keeping aren't a surprise. I'm sure we could talk about this for another half hour, but there is some method to the madness, I guess, isn't there? But then as Adam says, we don't even really know what our best team is no. so i mean it's, it's amazing that it's happened in a kind of quite a flux state of the season i guess i think that my conclusion with with ralph at the moment is that they say you're you're sort of better lucky than good i think come to a conclusion he is both very good and quite lucky which is an absolutely diamond combination isn't it <laughs> well bearing in mind um, our last three managers weren't either of those two things it's good to finally go <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's TSP. It's very much appreciated. Thanks as always to Lucy, Adam and Steve for their views and opinions. Thanks also to Ed for his uh, question on the black box. Before we go, as you may have seen on our social media this week, we'll be talking to ex-Saints goalie Antti Niemi in the next couple of weeks or so. If you'd like to send in a question to ask him, please either email totalsaintspodcast at yahoo.com, comment on one of the posts that's either on Facebook or Twitter, and uh, if not, use uh, hashtag TSP Antti on Twitter, and we'll uh, make sure that we get that question to him. We'll be back again next week when we'll be talking about the wasn't a derby derby ahead of the derby it is a derby derby um until then steve i know you're going to recover from pot world i'm going to go and recover from pepper pig world and have a good week and keep marching in
away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.